All right, I'd like to invite you back to your seats. We're going to get started. Once again, welcome to Providence Road, especially if you're a guest with us. Welcome. If I have not met you yet, my name is Jeremy. I am one of the pastors here at the church, and um, it's really gl- I'm really glad to uh, be spending a Sunday morning with you all. Um, and yeah, college students, if you weren't here last week, it's your first time back uh, since l- the spring. We're really glad to have you back. Got a full room. Feels really, really good. Uh, we're continuing on in our uh, little four-week series uh, that is really just giving some vision of who we are. We want to constantly call us back to our vision, who we are as a church. This is what we think God has called us to do here in the city and throughout the world. And uh, we're titling it, uh, This Is Us. And if, you're, uh, if you watch that TV show, I promise we won't make you too depressed today. Because I know when I watch that show, I leave feeling depressed every single time. Uh, but I still watch it. I still watch it. Um, but yeah, we're going to walk through, um, we're, and we're using our church's mission statement kind of as the thread to help us walk through these four weeks and to talk about who we are. Um, but uh, the, the primary text, we'll have two today, but uh, one of the primary texts is going to be in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And the verses will be on the screens. Um, if you'd like to follow along in, the, in, your, in a Bible and you don't have one, there should be one under every other seat. If you don't have one at home, please take that home. It's our gift to you. So Mark 1, um, this is the beginning, uh, um, second book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through um, your Bible if you're following along in your scriptures. Um, Mark 1, starting in verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word once again. We thank you for um, just revealing yourself to us through your word. That you're a God that wants to be known and desires to be known and that, that desires for us to know your character and who you are. And you've done that primarily in your scriptures. And so today as we walk through a couple of passages and looking at a really, really important topic. I pray that you would help us understand the scriptures. I pray you would challenge our minds. You would challenge our hearts. You would, um, you would cause us to love you at a greater, a greater level today. And as, as we leave this place, I pray that you would help us um, live in such a way that honors and glorifies you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Why don't we read a quote to start off by um, Dallas Willard, a philosopher, theologian. He says this, and it's talking about this, this idea of discipleship. That's what we're going to talk about today, being a disciple. He says, we prefer to think we are our own person. We make up our own minds, but that is only because we have been mastered by those who have taught us that we do or should do so. Such individualism is a part of the legacy that makes us modern. Probably you are the disciple of several somebodies, and it is very likely that they shaped you in ways that are far from what is best for you or even coherent. 
You are quite certainly, as I am, the student of a, of a few crucial people living and dead who have been there in crucial times and periods to form your standard responses in thought, feeling, and action. Something, if you've been around any length of time here at the church, what we'll say and have said a lot is that all of us as, uh, as human beings are being formed by something. We are disciples of something or someone. Being a follower, being a disciple, being one who is being formed is not a Christian thing necessarily. It's a, it's a human thing. We all gravitate towards people that will help us get to where we think we want to go. People come into our lives, mentors, teachers, guides to help us get to where we think we want to go. Our vision. Sometimes it's political figure. Sometimes it's religious figure. Sometimes it's someone who is championing a new idea. But nonetheless, we are people who are always being formed. And so the question becomes, what are we being formed by? What are we being formed into? Are we even aware that every moment of our day, we're, we're becoming someone? We're being formed into someone. The question becomes, what are we being formed into? Who's having the most influence over us? Who's guiding us in this thing called life as we journey and navigate the ups and downs and uh, the great things and, and low points in our lives? Who's guiding us? Who's influencing us? And today we're continuing this series um, where we're looking at the vision and, and mission of the church, and we're going to zero in on a couple of phrases in, the, in our mission that are going to help us answer this question, okay? So up on the screen, you have our, our vision statement and our mission statement. So our vision statement is Providence Road Church exists to lead people to find freedom and joy in Jesus. That's the vision. By, here's the mission, how that's going to get worked out. Living as disciples who make disciples, we seek gospel saturation by demonstrating and declaring the gospel in all of life. Okay, so today we're going to spend primarily most of our time on um, a couple of phrases. One, in the mission, disciples who make disciples and in all of life. Okay, Blake covered last week gospel saturation, talked about what is the gospel. And today we're going to look at disciples who make disciples and in all of life. And in that mission statement and vision as well, we've chosen each word um, precisely and for a, a reason, okay? There's big words in there. There's a lot there. But every word in there, we've prayed over it and we've thought about it. And we've looked at the scriptures and wrestled with it. And this is what we want to be about as a church. So let's go back to Mark 1, that, that passage I read a minute ago. And this is a very clear um, picture of what a disciple is, okay? When Jesus calls his first disciples, so verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Okay, this was Jesus' primary deal, right? Proclaiming the gospel, promising healing, setting the captives free, all those things that Jesus lays out. Verse 15 says, In saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That's the big Big thing, right? Repent and believe the gospel. This is what Blake preached on last week. He based, his message was basically repent and believe in the gospel. And this is the place to start. It's the place Jesus starts. This is the place our church start, starts. We build everything on the gospel of Jesus Christ because this is kind of the way Jesus did it, right? Then verse 16, 
Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And this point in time, nobody's following Jesus yet, okay? According to the gospel writers, no one's following him. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, these fishermen, this is the key verse for the morning, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's a command, right? Follow me, walk after me, walk in my footsteps, okay? So it's a command to follow him. And then the second thing, the little phrase there is, I will make you. It's not make yourselves, clean yourselves up, work really, really hard. He says, no, I'm the one that's going to be making you into a new person. I'm the one who's going to be giving you a new identity. And I'm the one who's going to give you the identity of being fishers of men. And he uses fishers of men there because obviously he knows there's fishermen. He's trying to get them to understand what he's calling them to a little bit. But really, he's calling them to be disciples, to be followers, to follow after him, okay? So this is the calling of the first disciples. And if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you've had this calling, okay? This is the calling to be a Christian as well, but I'll get into that here in a second. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So let's talk about this idea of, of disciple, okay? Especially in this part of the country, very kind of churched area, um, this word disciple and discipleship is thrown around a lot, right? Like the discipleship specifically is kind of a junk drawer word. Like we know it's important, we know it means something, but everybody comes at it from a different angle. So let's go to the scriptures and see what this actually means. And the literal word for disciple in the New Testament is mathetes. Mathetes. And mathetes, the best translation for it, if you're just being precise, is apprentice. English translators don't like to use that word because it's, it's kind of outdated. It's an old word. We don't use it much in common language anymore. Um, they've chosen disciple. But really, the, the best word that uh, kind of um, composes the whole idea is, um, is being a print, an, an apprentice. Now, what is an apprentice? Well, most of us kind of have an idea of an apprentice, maybe from, from movies, maybe from books we've read, maybe from history books. Um, I, I, I'm saying, I guess very few of us have actually served in a, like a legitimate apprentice role. Maybe some of us have. But an apprentice is someone who is training in a specific skill uh, for a certain period of time under someone who, a professional or a master or someone who really knows what they're doing. And there's an agreement on both sides that the master will help the apprentice grow into, into that skill and he will eventually be able to go out on his own and become a professional or a master himself. This is what an apprentice is. In Jesus's time period, especially in the, the Jewish religious world, um, people apprenticed under rabbis. Okay, a student would approach a rabbi and ask the rabbi, can I follow you? Can I spend time with you? Can I learn the law from you? Can I learn to be like you? And he would ask to follow him around. And it's hard for us to understand what this probably would look like. We often think of the teacher-student relationship, which that context usually is a classroom or maybe an online course in this day and age. Or you, you're, you're given a, a list of, of books to go read and maybe write some reports on to interact with. You come back with your teacher and talk about them. Okay? This is usually how our, our education system is set up. Now, being an apprentice, there's some of that involved with it, but um, this, this wasn't like that. 
the, an apprentice would basically go live with their master. They left everything behind. And for that season, understanding that skill, being at the feet of the master was all they cared about. They slept in the same place they did. They woke at the same time. They ate the same meals. They rested at the same times. They obviously worked together. They went to bed at the same times. The apprentice was just the shadow of the master. And so when these guys heard Jesus call them to be disciples, and really anyone else who, after this, who Jesus called to be disciples, that would have made sense. They would have understood what they are being called into. They're being called into apprenticing after the master, who is Jesus, Okay. Now, usually, like I said, the students would approach the rabbi and ask the rabbi for permission to kind of enter into this apprenticeship, but Jesus flips it. Jesus actually is the one who chooses his followers, not the other way around. So Jesus approaches these guys and says, follow me. And they left everything. And this is a big deal, right? Like to, to, be, a, to be a fisherman, this was their livelihood. This was some of their identity was probably wrapped up into this. This is how they made money. This is how they probably took, took care of their families, those who had families, right? This is a big deal. But they understood what Jesus was calling them to, and they laid it down and left to follow Jesus. And so kind of in, in our mission statement, there's an all-of-life statement there. And that's really, really important. We'll talk more about that at the end, the, the specifics of that. But this is an all-of-life thing. When we follow Jesus, it's, it's an apprenticeship. We're following in his way. A definition of discipleship or being, disciple, uh, being a disciple is helpful is from Jeff Vanderstelt. And it's, uh, I believe it's on the screen. No, never mind. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it. It's the ongoing process. Those are important words. Ongoing, and it's a process of submitting all of life to Jesus. Okay, so we are all in process. If we're a follower of Jesus. We're, you're in process in this room. Okay, we're still working things out the power of the Spirit, right? So it's an ongoing process of submitting all of our life under the authority of Jesus. Not a little bit of our life, not our Sundays, not the things we want to give Jesus. It's submitting all of life under Jesus. Now, there's things in all of our lives that we hold on to, right? Like we, we don't want to give him that. We want to keep that for ourselves. That's a part of our identity. So we hold on to that tightly. That's why it's a process. We're all in process of of growing in the ability to submit all of life under Jesus. One unbiblical idea that I kind of see and I, I feel and hear a lot is still this idea that there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple. It's unbiblical, right? So, so the, the idea goes like this, like a Christian is someone who believes in Jesus and what he did and um, goes to church, does kind of the basics, and then a disciple is someone who takes their faith really seriously. Like they're all in, they do the extra stuff. They're like the, the special forces of, this, the, of the Christian army or whatever. And that is an unbiblical idea. Nowhere in the scripture does it differentiate between a Christian and a disciple. Theologically, those things mean the same thing. A Christian, a disciple, a saint, the other, words that, the other words that the scriptures use, they all are meaning the same thing. It's a person who's been changed and follows Jesus. Okay? All of those things mean the same thing. Um, and there's this process of begin submitting all of life to him. Now, kind of thinking about how the gospel and discipleship intersect here, because I want to go back to our mission statement. How did the gospel and discipleship intersect? Well, you could say that discipleship begins when someone has faith in the gospel, believes and repents, the same way we saw in Mark 1. Jesus preached the gospel, 
people repented. They were changed, okay? First, that's the first step. That's what kicks off being a disciple of Jesus is understanding the gospel and believing the gospel. However, gospel saturation, the moving of the gospel, the impact of the gospel will not happen unless people who are followers of Jesus submit all of their life to him, are changed from the inside out, and begin to live their lives in such a way that the gospel saturates uh, an area, their friendships, neighborhoods, workplaces, their own lives, the church. So the, the, if, if the gospel is the fuel, discipleship is the car, is the vehicle. Like the gospel is the fuel through the power of the Holy Spirit to allow us to do any of this. It's the motivation. But to, to actually see things happen out in our own hearts and in life, it, it, it requires discipleship. It requires following him. It requires knowing him and pursuing him and, and aligning some of our habits to, to, to know him and create margin for him. And we'll get into some of those practicals in a little bit. Um, another way to define discipleship as it relates to the gospel is becoming what the gospel has already made you. We're becoming what the gospel says we are or living out what is already true of you. God says, when you believe the gospel, this is who you are. You're a son or a daughter, and now we spend the rest of our lives trying to, to work that out. What does it mean to be a son? The freedom and joy that that brings to be called a child of God. Like, I forget about that. I don't live, live like that all the time. I'm growing in my ability to understand what that means. There's a point in time when, when our son, Jax, became my son, right? Like he became my son and, and the rest of his life will be spent understanding and kind of walking out what it means to be a son of Jeremy and Nicole. Like this is part of Jax's formation and upbringing. It doesn't change anything. He'll, he'll be just as much my son when he's 18 or 50, Lord willing, as he is now when he's three. He's no more my son than he is, than he is now, but he's going to grow and mature and begin to understand the depths of love I have for him as he grows older. But his little three-year-old mind, he gets some things, but not a lot right now as it relates to our relationship and my love for him. So the benefits of following Jesus aren't just in the next life, right? It's not just an afterlife thing. It does include that, eternity, but the benefits start now. And we need to see these benefits of following Jesus in the present day. We get to have a relationship with our Savior. We get to experience abundant life because of his grace and mercy. Abundant life. Like, what does that mean? Like, are we, are we like living into that? And, and, and is that our goal? We are called heirs because we're his children. Because we're his children, we have an inheritance waiting for us. We don't have all the benefits of the inheritance yet, but we have some benefits of the inheritance because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Holy Spirit enables us to feel the love of the Father like no other human being can that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. It allows us to feel the love of the Father. And it enables us to live in such a way that we honor and glorify him in our everyday life. We, live, we, we can experience and know the love of the Father, of, of the perfect Father, without having to do, have done anything. It wasn't our love for him that saved us. It was his love for us that saves us. So we know the love of a father now, a perfect love of a father, based off of nothing we've done. In spite of our brokenness, in spite of our mess, we, we are loved by a perfect father. How many of you in here would, would love to have the love of a perfect father or mother. No, no earthly mother or father is perfect, but I know some of you grew up in some messed up, busted up homes. 
and something maybe you desire more than anything is to be just loved and approved of based off of not your behavior, but because you're in relationship with the God of the universe. Like this is a benefit from walking as a disciple of Jesus and, and, and walking this out in everyday life. So that's what a little bit, just kind of uh, just barely digging into what a disciple is. Now there's a process behind this. So let's talk about the process and kind of the second part of this. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 4 really gets into this idea of what the process looks like. Okay, And this is Paul, one of the leaders in the early church. This is one of his probably more, more popular books. It's a general book where he's given, just lays out a, a beautiful three chapters of theology and the mystery of the gospel. And then chapter four, he switches, like he often does, to talking about how the gospel, all of this, the character and nature of God, how that works itself out in different arenas of life. And right here, he's talking about the church, how we as followers of Jesus and the church grow up together to know him. Okay, so let's start in verse 11. He's talking about the church here. And he gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, basically people with those gifts, okay? We're not going to talk about that today, but people with those gifts so that they can equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, this is the important part. This is the goal for all of us. Listen to Paul. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So to kind of sum that up, that just means growing up to know him, growing up to love him, growing up to obey him, growing up in relationship with him. And this is the, the, what the church, one of the main purposes of the church, to create an environment where we, where we can all pursue him and all grow up into Christ. Now in verse 14, he tells us why that's important. So that we may no longer be children. So he's saying the goal is to grow up, okay? So now he's kind of have this metaphor of child and adult. No longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So he's talking about, um, spiritually speaking, children and adults. And he's saying, especially this idea of, of every wind of doctrine. I don't think this has to be um, religious doctrine. I think this is just ideas, doctrine that the culture feeds us, whatever's popular, whatever's out there. A spiritual child kind of feels the wind of that doctrine, maybe smells the, the smell of that doctrine, and they just chase it. They follow. They're just, they're just blown back and forth by whatever is new, whatever is shiny, whatever um, the people around them are buying into. Spiritual children just follow that in the same way as, 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 as children in, in normal everyday life. They're more susceptible to those kinds of things. Um, uh, spiritual children are more susceptible to human cunning, trickery, craftiness, deceitful schemes, the enemy's plans. All of those things, spiritual children are more vulnerable to those things. So Paul is saying we need to grow up. We need to help each other grow up in our faith. We need to become mature spiritual adults. So there's a process here that we all start off as spiritual infants, babes, the scripture says. And we slowly work our way up and we grow up into spiritual adults. In verse 15, we'll talk more about this next week, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. There's that all of life idea there into him who is the head into Christ. We grow up into Christ. And that's another way of just another way to say discipleship, right? Growing up into our relationship with Christ. The author of Hebrews 5 here, I think this is a really good passage. 
this context, though, he's, he's giving a warning. So his, his, his tone here is really sharp, but the content, listen to the content. He says, for though by this time you, talking to Christians, ought to be teachers, like you ought to be grown up teaching people, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God or, or the writings of God. You need milk, not solid food, where you're at now. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Okay, There's a warning there. The writer of Hebrews is like, grow up. Like you one time you needed spiritual milk, and that was necessary at that time, but now we need to move on to, to, uh, to a solid food. Uh, one thing with uh, my son Jack's kind of on this maturity scale um, is, is something that's really annoying me right now with him. Um, and he's not in here so I can say this, but um, we, uh, we recently watched the movie Frozen for the first time. And parents, you did not warn me about this. First time dad mistake. So we see this movie. He's, he loves it, of course, loves it. And we also have... Um, um, Alexa, okay? And you have the soundtrack, Alexa, Frozen. And my life is a mess when I walk into my house. Like, maybe the first or fifth or 20th times, those songs were great. But every time, it's Alexa, play um, um, Let It Go. Yeah, I've, I've seared that out of my mind. Um, I've, I've burned it away. Let It Go. Okay, over and over and over. And so, again, young little three-year-old guy like just like loves this movie right i'm like hey buddy let's grow up a little bit let's grow up let's move on to some classics okay if you love that song i'm sorry it's made me hate it song <laughs> it's made me hate the song um he loves loves elsa i think he has a crush on elsa um told him you're too young she'll just turn your heart to stone she's <laughs> she's she's cold you don't need to follow elsa so i told i tell him you need to break that off now i did i didn't really say that i'm not that I'm not that intense, but a um, little young to have a crush, um, and it's hurting my head with the music. Um, but so we, we all want to grow up, right? We, we see these things in, in, in people as they grow up from children to adults and through teen years and all of that stuff, but it's the same spiritually, okay? This is a common metaphor that Paul uses. Um, we need to think, you think, move over to the spiritual world. Um, we want, initially, we need to be fed the word. That word needs to be milk. It needs to be easy to understand. Small words, small ideas so we can understand. And we slowly grow in our ability to, to feed ourselves, right? We, we pull solid food out. And maybe solid food you can, you can eat on your own. But it still needs to be cut up a little bit because it's solid food. But then we move on to being able to cut our own solid food. And then we get to the point where not only can we eat solid food ourselves, we can actually cook solid food for ourselves, okay? So that metaphor goes all the way up as far as our, our spiritual lives go. Like we need to grow up to become self-feeders. So as a leader of the church, I'm still growing as a self-feeder. I'm still in process, but my, my hope and desire for you is that you all would grow up to be self-feeders, to not be dependent upon a pastor or your favorite writer or your favorite podcast sermon you listen to or whatever, that you actually have your own faith that you are growing up into. Okay, this is a process and we are all in process. But I think it's good to be aware that we should be moving along the process. Maybe it's really, really slow. Maybe it's even two steps forward, one step back. But nonetheless, over time, there's a process that we grow up into our faith. Now, kind of to, to end, I want to I focus on three um, barriers. And these, these things, I didn't pull them up out of, out of nowhere. It's, it's, as I reflected on my own life, as I've talked to plenty of people here 
and, and read kind of other authors and stuff, I think there's, there's three, at, at least three. Um, I think these things prevent us from spending time with Jesus or we get distracted or we just kind of, they stunt our growth in growing up as disciples. Okay, the first um, barrier, and then I'm going to offer like a practical, I think, solution to each. Okay, first is busyness, right? Like, I think we can all feel this. We have, most of us have no margin. We're busy. Our life is full. We have a lot of activity. We just do and do and do. And I think it's just, there's all this stimuli that we live with more than maybe in any time period in history. And we just kind of are controlled by that stimuli to always be on, always be active, um, we can't, you know, um, like the phone, like the phone addiction, like reach in the pocket anytime there's like a, a, a five seconds of boredom. Like I fight that too. It's like, I'm bored for five seconds. I need something to do. It's okay to be bored for five seconds, right? But so there's this problem of just distraction, okay? And I think the answer to this is being more intentional, right? It's being more intentional with our time with him. We have to create some space, some margin in our lives to be with Jesus, Okay, if, if you look at um, Nicole and I's marriage, if you watched our marriage and we never spent time together, you would step back and you would say, this is probably not a healthy marriage. Like if we never spent time together as husband and wife, probably not a healthy marriage. I mean, same goes with our relationship to God. And here, so start small with this. Like if you're struggling with this, if you have no margin, start small. Take, a, take an audit of your day in short increments and find five or 10 minutes in your day that you know you waste. We all waste five or 10 minutes at least, even the most efficient of you out there. We waste time, right? So find that, find that five or 10 minute nook in your day and use it. Just stop, maybe have your Bible open, maybe not, and just reflect on God, reflect on the gospel, his character and nature, and listen to the Spirit. And again, this is, this is relationship. Don't make this overly, it, it is mysterious and mystical, but it, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be scary. It's just spending time with a person, a person who's alive through the spirit, Jesus, okay? So make time for it, um, create space. So that's the first one. Next, um, the second barrier, I'll call this the, um, and we all are susceptible to this. Um, if I don't feel like doing it, it isn't authentic. Therefore, I shouldn't do it, right? That's the logic. If it just doesn't feel right, then I'm being authentic, inauthentic if I do something that I don't feel like doing. Therefore, I probably shouldn't do it, right? And especially as this goes with love. Like if I don't feel like loving someone, then um, I don't really love them. Like every time we, we, we show an act or spend time with someone, we have to have this emotion behind it to be real, right? And so if it takes effort, then that doesn't feel good, and so that's going to be authentic, so we don't do it. And I think we're all guilty of this, okay? If you reflect a little bit of why you do and don't do certain things, I think a lot of it is this, because if it doesn't feel good, it becomes hard to do, right? Harder to do. And we don't like hard, right? We want things to be easy. Um, but again, go back to the relationship thing. Like every relationship, um, you think of um, marriage, if you're not married, think of like with a really close roommate or a best friend, like Every good relationship you're in, it takes work. It takes duty. It takes discipline. It takes scheduling time to be with people. It's not just this laissez-faire. Just, it's just, uh, we'll just all hang out. We always want to hang out. And it's always awesome. Like no solid relationship is like that. You have to put in the duty and the discipline to get the promises of a great relationship. Like to have a, a, a healthy marriage and a marriage that is enjoyable and, and, and amazing, like it takes work. It takes some effort 
to get to the promises that that relationship um, a prom- that, 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 it, that, it, that it gives us. And so if you hear your relation, like Jesus is awesome and spending time with him, abundant life, all these amazing things, like are you putting in the work to actually feel those things? Are you putting in the work to actually have the benefit of this close relationship with the God of the universe? And the last one, um, and we'll talk more about this next week probably, but uh, this, this problem of compartmentalization. Um, most of us wouldn't say this, but I think Sunday's kind of our Christian day and the day that we're going to like give to God. And then maybe the rest of the week, we're not quite as um, focused on um, is more our normal life. We have Sundays and then we have our normal life. And uh, maybe this is a little bit sneaky, but again, this is an all of life thing, okay? Um, as apprentices of Jesus, um, Jesus knew as he had apprentices that like doing, preaching sermons all the time wasn't going to make disciples, right? Like he could have done it, like he preached sermons, but he didn't do that every, he said, hey guys, we're going to do this every week, come in here, sit, and I'm going to give you a sermon every week, and then you're going to grow up as disciples. Like, there was more to that. It's, discipleship is not less than coming on Sundays and hearing sermons, but it's so much more than that. So if, if, you, if you have this mindset of maybe thinking that kind of Sunday's your Christian day and all the other things that are like just normal life, that's compartmentalization. That's not all of life. And, and I think you're, going, you're robbing yourself of receiving the benefits and freedom and joy of that relationship if you compartmentalize Jesus off to a building or a meeting or a place. It is all of life. And I know that's a challenge, but start small. Just start small. And I think these little daily habits can get us here. Here's my prayer as we kind of close, um, is that we intentionally put some of these place, some of these things in, in, in practice as we relate to him, that over time that we'll begin to feel the benefits of this. We'll become, instead of pe- if angry people, we'll become people of peace. Instead of being a critical person, you'll become a loving person from having maybe no ambition in life, no direction to a godly ambition. From a, from a life of hurry and rush and anxiety to a life of peace. Um, we move from an insecure pride that we're all insecure and need to defend ourselves to humility. Like this is the, these are the things that we become. We become like Christ as we spend time with him. Uh, we have more fun and we're able to celebrate ourselves and celebrate others because we don't take ourselves so seriously because we're not God anymore. He is God. We can take ourselves less seriously and actually enjoy life and have more fun and celebrate others. We can brutally be, uh, be brutal with our self-assessment. We can go down in the deepest, darkest uh, places in our soul because we know that God the Father is with us there. He's with us in the dark places. He wants to go there with you. We begin to see our wounds in our hearts through the lenses of Jesus who reaches out his hand and it's, 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 a, it's a nail-pierced hand when he reaches us out to us. He's been there. He's done that. Invite him into your pain, but it takes time to go there with our pain. Um, and as, we, as we're growing personally in these ways, as we're, as we're growing up as followers of Jesus, I think living like him and how we serve others and, and, and be good missionaries will pour out of us if we are spending time in relationship with him. So this is the vision that God has given us for the Christian life. He's given us a map, and he's given us a guide in the Holy Spirit. So what's your next step? That's the final question. What's your next step? Like, what are you gonna do when you leave here to take that next step to ensure that you're being intentional in your relationship with Jesus? And don't just forget about this and move on. This is the purpose of community too. 
Like if you're around Christian brothers and sisters, you should be consistently reminding each other of this. Like, hey, what, like what, where are you, where's your kind of edge of growth? Where's that point where you like really know that you need to spend more time with Jesus and grow in that particular area? Talk about it with your friends. Let them pray for you and encourage you and celebrate when you take those steps of growth, okay? We've been changed by the gospel. We've been called to follow Jesus. We have a new identity. And the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Right? He dwells inside of us. And the Holy Spirit, his name in the scriptures is counselor, helper. And, and the Holy Spirit's main job is to point us to Jesus and to help us grow up into faith. So this is good news. We have the Holy Spirit to help us do everything that God's calling us to do. Let's pray. Father, as we move into time of communion, in reflection, I pray that you would take your word, not my words, but your word, your truth, and help people reflect on it, think about it, dwell on it. I pray that we would not be afraid to be self-reflective. In a few minutes when we have time to reflect, I pray that you would help us be clear on next steps we need to take to be intentional in our lives with you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit that, that the message isn't, hey, try harder. The message is let, remember the gospel, let the Holy Spirit do his work and, and be intentional about allow, giving space to the spirit to do his work. And that's the message. And so I pray you would help us, encourage us, and that through your spirit, you would help us as we continue this journey. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.